Welcome to the Alchemy of Business Show with your host, Steve Rogers. The Alchemy of Business Show is a podcast that mixes practical, actionable business solutions with soulful insights for anyone seeking deeper meaning in their lives and greater success in their work. Steve will be featuring purpose-driven leaders from all walks of life and getting insight into their journeys from failures to triumphs. So tune in to transition, transform, and evolve in every dimension of your business and life. And now your host of the Alchemy of Business show, Steve Rogers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alchemy of Business show. However you got here, whether it's through audio, maybe you're on a podcast, maybe you're on YouTube, you're watching this on a video. I'm not sure how you got here, but however, but however you did, thank you for being here. We have an amazing show today on the Alchemy of Business. This is a long-term friend of mine and a mentor and someone who I highly look up to. Uh, many of you are going to know his name when I tell you in a second who he is. But this is someone who's doing amazing work in the world. I'm talking about the global world, not just in uh, uh, our United States. But he's doing work all over the global world, making a huge difference. Uh, John Asroff is on our show today, and I'm thrilled he is on. John is a behavioral neuroscience researcher. He is a serial entrepreneur. I can definitely attest to that. I know many of the things he's been involved in. He is a New York Times bestselling author, and he is known as the brain whisperer. Uh, he is one of the leading high-performance success coaches in the world. Uh, he is a behavior neuroscience researcher. And what this means is through his research and findings, he's been so sought out that he's been on Larry King Live. He's been on Anderson Cooper, The Ellen DeGeneres Show. Uh, and as a CEO and founder, um, early in his days, before he got into the brain science, he was also in the business world in real estate. And he grew a Remax franchise in Indiana as a startup to 85 offices and doing over with 1,200 real estate agents that he grew to. And then he was doing over 4 billion in sales volume a year. And this was a while back. So that is a lot of houses when you add that up to get to 4 billion. Uh, John was also one of the founders of Bamboo um, IPIX, which went public. This was a company that was early days in real estate where they were doing uh, stitching photos together to have the first round of kind of video tours. Uh, they went public on NASDAQ with a market cap of 2.5 billion and had a great run with that. John went on to write numerous books. He had two best-selling books, and he's been uh, translated into 35 languages. He's the creator of Intersize, and it's a movement that he has been featured in now 11 movies, including the blockbuster, blockbuster hit you've probably heard of, The Secret, and Quest for Success with Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama. We're going to talk about that today on the show. He is the CEO of My Neuro Gym. And it's a based company in, company based in San Diego, and he's dedicated to helping individuals strengthen their mindset so they achieve their goals and dreams faster, easier, and better than ever before. So welcome, John Asaroff. Hello there, Mr. Steve Rogers. Great to be with you. Hey, great to be with you, John. It's uh, been decades we've known each other, and every time I see you or have a time to glance at your bio, I realize how many things you've done in your life. So you probably sometimes, when you're hearing your bio read, go, wow, I actually have done all those things. It's it's probably even amazing to you, I would guess, at times. It is at times. I wish it was shorter. It was like, there's, there's a lot of, we're trying to pack in there. And it's, I guess that's what happens when you've uh, been on the planet for over 60 years and you... Uh, uh, you look to achieve as much as you can while you're alive, like I do. Well, you've always been hungry for that. I mean, since I early met you, uh, you know, decades ago, you have been on this quest of this finding more about yourself, 
finding more about making a difference, learning about business that you've accomplished at a very high level of success. Where do you think that drive originally came from? Because I know in one of your first books, you talked about maybe using that early on stuff for strive and selling stuff uh, in a whole different way. But how long early in your life did this quest for more or success or evolution come from? At what stage do you remember that? Six, seven, eight years old. Um, my family had moved from uh, Israel to Montreal. My father was a cab driver. Um, and up until about five, I remember things were happy, things were fine. Um, and then my parents wanted to get away from the wars in Israel. And so they moved to Montreal. And my father gave up having a restaurant and nightclub in Israel. He was a cab driver. And from what I was told later on, my father um, was a gambler uh, and gambled away the money that he made during the day as a cab driver uh, playing horses or cards. And I remember my parents' struggles began then, and there was always uh, fights in our house around uh, the fact that he was gambling. There was no money, no money, no money, no money, no money, no money, no money. And... Um, so I remember as a, as a young kid, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, I started to deliver flyers, you know, in the, in the buildings that we lived in, because uh, I saw little uh, ads in the comic books, you know, to you know, deliver these flyers and make like a penny a flyer, or, you know, a penny for every 10 flyers. Um, and I, I felt that uh, my mother didn't feel safe. Um, there were always fights in the house. And I remember at a very young age saying, you know, I have to make money, I have to make money, I have to make money because I felt that the insecurity was there, yeah. um, uh, the, the struggles were there. And um, so I remember at a very, very young age saying to myself, I'll, I'll never not have money. So it was fear. Fear was the motivator um, that pushed me away from, you know, from that. Well, that's powerful. And I know in many of your books and in some of your talks, you talk a lot about fear and using fear as something more as fuel and transforming yeah. through that. So as a young kid, you know, I think as, as we all grow up, um, we have our own fears that we learn in life that are either pushed upon us or we find on our own. So when you took that fear and you started doing these flyer things and then you realize I'm not going to be X, you maybe weren't sure exactly what you wanted to be, but you knew what you didn't want to be. Yeah. And then did you also then... Um, in your family feel like you were a bit of different or outcast at that time doing that? Or did you feel they were getting cheered on for that kind of, if, if even anyone had awareness of your, your drive at that point or your want something different? No, um, it wasn't either way. Like my father left school in grade five. My mother left school in grade three. They both went to work to help their parents. So it was not unusual. Um, you know, my sister did babysitting. My brother taught tennis across the street at 15 years old or 12 years old. He was working at the YMCA. So work was part of what everybody did, right? So everybody did that and, and chipped in. Um, so it wasn't like I was doing anything unusual by delivering flyers or newspapers or, you know, at 11 or 12 years old, I worked at the pharmacy up the street, cleaning the, the, the shelves and stocking the shelves and across the street in the dry cleaners, pressing clothes and down the other side of the street, uh, delivering groceries on a bicycle, you know, with a basket in front of yeah, the people. Who, that. Yeah. So I did all of those things 
and um, and everybody participated, you know, in uh, in helping the family out. So it wasn't like I could keep all the money. Gotcha. It was, yeah. it was you were contributing. Expected, yeah, it was an expected behavior that work just became normal for me. Um, but I also, you know, you know, I also went on. Um, to try and make more money. And I did illegal things at 13, 14, 15, 16. Right. I started selling drugs. I started breaking in entries to making money. I started doing a lot of things because my self-esteem and self-image was very low when I was a kid because I didn't do well in school when we had moved from Israel to Montreal and I didn't speak the language. So there was a lot of struggle and doing a lot of the wrong things, you know, to, to get the money, to feel safe and secure. Well, you've been a master of selling skills uh, in your later days that many know of. I'm not sure if everyone knew about how great your selling skills were early on, but you did write about that in one of your first books. It became a New York Times bestseller. Remind me the name of that one. Uh, it's actually right behind me. For anybody who's watching over there, it's called Having It All. Achieving Having It, it All. Having It I All. I have that on one of my bookshelves over there somewhere from the, <laughs> when I first met you. I remember I got that. And you talk about in that how you did have this drive for more, but you did start doing illegal things. And so yeah. as a kid, did you find and seek out that circle or did they come and find you? Like, were you like, were you initiated into a group or a gang and then that led to that? Or did you go, there's gotta be a way to make more money now that I know how to do flyers really well. Uh, like, how did no. that transition happen? Well, the transition happened, you know, I was getting into a lot of trouble in school because I fell behind which led me to be in the principal's office with the other kids who got, you know, in trouble at school, which led us, you know, to hang out together because we had something in common after school. And so we were in the parks, whether it was playing croquet or playing in the park, you know, and then one thing led to the other. So it wasn't like we were, you know, looking out for it, but, you know, we would go across the street from school and we would steal things from the stores. We would, you know, it started off with little things like that, and then we would watch out for each other, you know, when we were, um, you know, young derelicts, really, um, you know, in school. And if we would, you know, we would skip school. And there was like, you know, three, four, five of us that would consistently skip school. Those are the same three or four or five that didn't do well in school. They were always in detention. We're always at the principal's office. And so we kind of like, you know, got together out of, you know, we were the ones that were the misfits. We were the ones that were the derelicts. We were the ones that were always in trouble. And as you know, we attract people that are like us. And so I attracted them. They attracted me. And um, then we started doing things that I'm obviously not proud of today. But this was a, you know, a 8, 9, 10, 12, 15-year-old kid that was on the wrong track, on the wrong train, with the wrong people, picking up speed in the wrong direction. Yeah. And I think many of us can relate to that. I mean, many entrepreneurs and leaders and top people that I've spoken to in their early days didn't always do things as on the right side of the track, as they say, but those hardships or that uh, street streetwise knowledge ended right. up being converted into really positive stuff in later years, building companies or having this drive. So when did you then uh, figure out that, hey, I, I, I can do this really well, even if it was something that maybe was illegal or shouldn't have been done, you must have excelled at it. And I remember you telling me you made a pretty good chunk of money at it. So at what point did you have someone guide you, a mentor, something snapped you out of it that you said, okay, I'm going to take this stuff that I've learned and there's got to be even more than this. Even though you were making money, 
who who or what shifted that for you? Because I know you talk about a lot about shifting in the brain and changing yeah. lives. So when did that first happen for you? There, there were two pivotal um, pivotal moments for me. And one pivotal moment was actually when we were selling some drugs and I was with a friend of mine and we were at this house um, and we were selling some drugs to this individual that I had met. And my friend said, that guy is a cop. I was just at the police station. I saw him there. Oh, and wow. so the guy basically said, hey, we got to get out of here. And it was like, holy shit, this is becoming like really, really, really real. And I knew that, you know, I could go to jail or go to the morgue. One of my friends had died. One of my friends actually went to jail. And so this became real, part one. Part two, my brother knew that I was selling drugs. My brother knew I was getting in trouble. And um, he he had asked me, and my brother was a tennis pro and he used to play the uh, the pro circuit in tennis in Europe. And when he came back, um, he moved to Toronto, Canada. I was living in Montreal. When he came back, he was teaching this uh, entrepreneur. His name was Alan Brown uh, Tennis. And he was telling this guy, my brother's getting in trouble. Um, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help him. And this man said, well, why don't you have your brother come, you know, to Toronto and let me talk to him and see if I could, if I could help the situation. So my brother invited me. I took the train from Montreal to Toronto, which is about a six hour train ride. Wow. My brother picked me up at the, uh, at the train station. I was going to stay with him for the weekend. And uh, I met this man at lunch. Uh, his name was Alan Brown. Nice man uh, in real estate. A developer had real estate offices, I think about seven, 800 agents, you know, in the Toronto area. Uh, very, very successful from what my brother had told me. And so at lunch, this guy asked me, like, what are some of your goals? And I said to him, I'd like to buy a car. I'd like to move out of my parents' house. And I'd like to get a job where I make more than $1.65 an hour. He <laughs> said, that's all wonderful. He said, what are some of your bigger goals and dreams? And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, what else would you like to achieve, you know, in your life? And I said, I have no idea. So he said something to me. You'll love this, Steve, because you, you, you do this. He, he said, well, will you do me a favor? Uh, I have this document uh, with some questions on it. Would you mind answering these questions um, and then just give them back to me? So I said, sure. So he gave me this document. And just to put it into perspective, it was the 1980 Goal Setting Guide. Oh, wow. So I get this document. I open up the first page. And the first question, first question, Steve says, at what age do you want to retire? And I'm 19 at the time. And I'm like, retire? I want a good job. <laughs> right. Like I said to Mr. Brown, I said, what am I supposed to put here? And he said, just pick a number. And so I said, okay, um, 45, you know, 26 years later. The next question said, upon retirement, how much net worth do you want to have? And I looked at Mr. Brown and said, excuse me, sir, what does net worth mean? <laughs> right? And um, um, he, he explained it to me. I said, okay, um, $3 million. Um, where would you like to travel? What kind of car would you like to have? What kind of home would you like to have? What kind of clothes would you like to have? Who would you like to help? What kind of experiences would you want to have? And it asked all these questions that I never even thought of. So I wrote out, travel the world first class. 
uh, retire my parents, Italian wardrobe, four bedroom house, Mercedes Benz uh, convertible. I wrote all this stuff out and I gave him back the document and he looked at it and he said, this looks like a great life. He said, I'm going to ask you one question and the answer to this one question will determine whether you achieve every one of these things. And so I'm sitting there a little cocky thinking in my own mind, Steve. Yeah, sure. One question. And he leaned in and he said, are you interested in achieving these things or are you committed to achieving them? Yeah. Great question. And I great said, question. I was thinking in my own head, interested, committed, committed, interested. I'm like scratching my head. And so I asked, I said, excuse me, Mr. Brown, uh, what's the difference? And he leaned in again and he says, um, if you're interested, you'll do what's easy and convenient. If you're interested, you'll allow your present circumstances and your old results control your thinking. You'll allow yourself to be hindered what you currently believe. You'll allow yourself to accept what is, but if you're committed, you'll upgrade your identity to match this new destiny. You'll upgrade your knowledge, you'll upgrade your skills, you'll get the new beliefs required to achieve these goals, and you will develop the habits that are consistent with the achievement of these goals. So, son, he says, which are you, interested or committed? Steve, I don't know why, but I just said, well, in that case, sir, I'm committed. Good and for he you. reached out hand, he reached out his hand and he says, in that case, I will be your mentor. Oh, I wow. Said, I said, thank you. What's a mentor? <laughs> that is a great story. I think I remember hearing that a little bit before, but not like in this intensity of the, and I just picturing you at that table and, well, and talk about laws of attraction of you being on the wrong side of the track, having a brother who loved you enough to connect to that, you going on a train six hours to go do that, and then having this man at your life at the right place and right time and you answering. And little did you know, probably at that moment, you were creating the first beginnings of what you became also famous for of dream boards. You were like mapping that out and then eventually that became vision. So, wow. So did you say, I accept, you are my mentor, I'm in, or did you well, think about I said, it? I said, thank you. He said, well, he told me what a mentor was. I said, thank you. And then this is where this gets interesting, right? Because then he says, great. He says, um, I want you to move from Montreal to Toronto. Oh, wow. Uh, I said, uh, well, what do you mean you want me to move from Montreal to Toronto? I don't know anybody here other than you and my brother. I don't have a job. I don't have money. He says, stop, stop. See how fast you're allowing your present circumstances to control your thinking? I said, what do you mean? He said, you're telling me you can't do it and all the reasons why you can't. He said, lesson number one, first you make decisions, then you figure out how. I Love said, that. but, 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 but I don't have any money. I don't have a job here. I'm making a dollar sixty-five. He says, stop. There you go again. First rule, make decisions first. Then you figure out the how. I said, fine. I was frustrated. I said, fine. Uh, I'll move to Toronto. Uh, and my brother says to me, you, you can live with me for a while. I said, thanks. Um, Mr. Brown says, great. The next thing, um, I want you to enroll in the real estate class. It starts on May the 5th. It's five weeks. It's 500 bucks. I said, what? 
You want me to go back to school? I said, I failed English and I failed math in grade seven. I left high school in grade 11. I don't do well in, in school. Um, I don't want to go back to school and, and I don't have 500 bucks. He goes, stop. Here you go again. Look how conditioned you are to finding the problem. I'm telling you what I need you to do in order to achieve this goals and this dream that you just had. And you're giving me stories and reasons and excuses. And guess what? Your desire for the vision and the goals has got to be bigger than all your old stories and excuses from the past. Is Are you committed to coming to Toronto? Yes. Are you committed to getting to real estate and finding the money? And I reluctantly said, like, fine. You know, like I was angry, fine. Right, yeah. Um, I ended up moving literally three weeks later. I borrowed money from my brother, my sister, and my father. I rolled into the real estate class at Humber College in Toronto, May 5th, 1980. June 20th, I got my real estate license. I passed the test. And Steve, do you know why I remember those dates so well? Why? Because it was the first test I had passed without cheating in years. Oh, wow. That's powerful. Because wow. I was cheating my way out of high school wherever I could. Yeah, yeah. And it well, was the talk first... about elevating your consciousness to be able to do that. And because you were committed, you were not interested, you were committed. And wow, you just upped your game in that moment. What a great self-esteem boost as well, I would imagine. It was the first time in many, many, many years where I felt a little bit of really being proud of me and thinking maybe I'm not dumb. Maybe I can do something with my life. One man, one question, one yes changed my life. That's powerful. Well, very powerful. I mean, all the stuff you just said, whether you are a teenager listening in or you're in your 60s trying to reinvent or rebuild or in your 30s or 40s building a, a, a startup, what John just said is gold there. I mean, it really is. I mean, we're going to have this in the show notes, but, you know, really making that decision from going from interested to committed and then making the decision and then figuring out the how is going to work and getting past your fear and also using anger as part of your fuel. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you understood this fear thing that you converted as a kid and in anger, sometimes that angst is the fuel we need to just either prove to someone else or ourselves. So kudos to you. Well, then you, you took to that very, very well and pass it, you excelled in real estate. And um, you also went on eventually, instead of just being in sales, you actually ended up moving to America and you opened a real estate company. So how long after that, hey, I passed the test for the first time without cheating, did you go from selling to owning and being the boss? How long was that period of time? So I got into real estate. My first um, my first six months, I made $31,000. My next six months, I made, uh, the next year, I made $150,000 because he kept upgrading my knowledge and my skills. And then I went and traveled around the world from September 82 to November 83 to see the world and to experience, you know, the, this beautiful blue planet. Got back, got into real estate. And then in, in 1987, which is seven years, six and a half years after I started on my journey, I bought the franchising rights for Remax for the state of Indiana. And over the next 10 years, I opened up 85 offices, recruited 1,200 salespeople, and we were doing four and a half billion a year in sales. Staggering. Well, that you you took that and ran with it. I mean, even before The Secret came out, we're going to talk about in the second break, you were definitely creating and living The Secret. It's no, no surprise 
that you were asked to be in that movie because you were out actually doing the work, probably not even knowing how magical that was because not everyone does that, but everyone has the possibility of doing that. And a lot of what you teach about in the brain is being aware and then making decisions and then having the behavioral changes that um, need to go along with the decision. So I do want to come back. We're going to have to take a break in about five minutes, but I do want to come back and then dig into the brain part of this later. But that commitment part, did you then, when you passed the test, you had all this success in sales, you started making money. Did your confidence just increase every month and every year more and more and more that you felt unstoppable? Or were you still having these fears and these anger things of frustration? Or did you feel you'd mastered that? So no, nowhere near mastering it. However, there were a couple of things that Mr. Brown did back in 1980 that was the foundation for my body of work today around inner sizing. And so do you remember I shared with you, you gave me this document with how much money do I want to make? When do I want to retire by? What kind of lifestyle I yes, want? Yes. Well, the next phase of that, after I passed my real estate license, he still had this document. The first day that I came into the office and I was greeted by the other realtors, he had a guy by the name of Vern Wong sit with me, who was a very successful real estate agent. Vern used to walk around with this big wallet, like a man purse with him all the time. And this guy was making like half a million dollars a year back in 1980. Wow. He sat me down with Vern and uh, Vern asked me a few questions. He looked at this document and he said, uh, oh, I love what you wrote down here. And he says, uh, what do you think you would need to believe about yourself in order to achieve these goals? I was like, what do you mean, Vern? He says, well, we all have beliefs. Um, what do you think you would need to believe about yourself? So I, I need to believe that I'm smart enough. Uh, he goes, uh, write that down. I am more than smart enough to achieve my goals. He said, what else would you need to believe? Um, well, I guess I would need to believe that I deserve to achieve these goals. And you know, good, write that down. So I wrote down these new beliefs. And then as I wrote down the beliefs, then Vern said, well, since you have no skills and you don't even know what you don't know, you're going to need to upgrade your skills to be able to sell better. So let's start training you on what you need to learn to sell more. And what do you need to do to market yourself? So I got some lessons early on. And so every single day when I came into the office, I had to review my vision and my goals. I had to look at it. I had to read it. I had to close my eyes and see myself achieving those goals. I had to read my new beliefs or affirmations. I had to then invest one hour upgrading my skills. So my first lessons were around a script for cold calling. And the script was written out for me and I had to call and recite it, call and recite it, call and recite it. I had to record it on the cassette tape and I had to listen to it over and over and over and over again for one hour. So the script was, hi, this is John Asraf with Allen Brown Real Estate Company. We have somebody who's looking to buy a home in the neighborhood. Have you considered making a move? If they said yes, I would say this. If they said no, I would say this. And I learned my first script. I had to listen to that over and over and over again every day for one hour. Then I would get on the phone, practice the script. Then I would get appointments. Mr. Brown would then come with me. We'd get listings. I would make some money. 
holy mackerel, thought I died and went to heaven because the first six months I made $5,000 more than my father made the whole year. Wow. That's powerful. Well, Great. we've got about three minutes left in this segment. And, and what John is mapping out here also is, re we're, we're, is reflective of much of the work you do now at a very, very high level. And you've taken these, you know, whether it's scripts or writing down your goals or affirmations or belief systems. I mean, you've taken that to a level that we're going to get in the second half that is not only for startup entrepreneurs, but multi-millionaires, billionaires, uh, you know, been on talk shows. So obviously this resonated with you um, and it really worked for you. And then when you wrote down um, on your original list of the things you were going to accomplish by 45, what had you accomplished by 45 when you've reflected back on that? Did you do an assessment of how that and had that changed dramatically of what you wanted at the time? But did you m meet many of those goals by 45? No, um, I met all of them and then some before 30. Oh, wow. You hear that audience? He met all of them before 30. This was a, a young teenager who was, uh, how old were you when you met with Mr. Brown? 19. 19. Uh, so a, a late teenager, so by 11 years, you achieved all of them when you didn't even know at the time to pull out of your head exactly what you wanted. So no, that must have been a real eye opener. So we're going to come back from the break and find out how John achieved these by 30. What were the pluses and minuses we're going to find out of having such success at an early late, uh, age? And then now in his next 30 years, because he's in his 60 range, what has he gone on to do at even higher levels in making impacts for people in addition to helping them make money? So thank you, John. Everyone, uh, come back and listen in. We're going to find out how to make more money, reach your goals, have some spiritual connection to whatever you believe that might be for happiness and joy. John's got all flavors for us to learn about doing these things with and in. So I hope you'll join us on the second segment of the Alchemy of Business show. Hello and welcome back to the Alchemy of Business Show. Thank you for listening in or viewing in, however you got here. We've been having a fascinating conversation with Mr. John Asaroff, who is a, a master of many things, serial entrepreneur. He studies the brain. And we were talking about before we got onto the segment, how in his early days, he was a little bit off track, got on track, got some mentorship, followed the, the, the principles he was being given by his mentor and reached and exceeded his goals by the time he was 30 that he did not think he was going to hit till he was 45. So fast forwarding to that, John. So when you were in that 20, 25, 30, and you were starting to make money and you were hitting these successes and you were seeing these goals that you had set on paper and then your affirmations and doing your scripts and having a ritual and a routine, did you then at that time go, wow, I have found the secret key of life that I didn't know existed? Or were you still discovering that it was that magical and repeatable? Yeah, I don't know that I ever said that, you know, I discovered the secrets to life. Um, but I certainly discovered some patterns that were yielding consistent results. And, you know, I've been a personal development junkie for, you know, 42 years now. And so there's, it's, I look at it almost like, uh, like, um, you know, life is like an onion. And here's what I mean. Let's say, we're somewhere on the onion. And let's say we can see up 10 layers and to the right and left 10 layers and below us 10 layers. Personal development allows you to see the 11 layers, 20 layers, 30 layers, 50 layers. And, and so 
discoveries and, 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 and having distinctions has been a never ending process for me. So the more I learn, the more I realize there is to learn. But what happens is, let me give you an example. You know, if you learn how to swim when you're young, you don't forget to learn how to swim. You could just become a better swimmer. If you learn how to ride a bike, you generally don't forget how to learn to ride a bike, but you can ride with more confidence and certainty, maybe speed and strength. So the same is true with success. Once you learn the formulas, then it's a function of implementing the foundational formulas that work. It's like the Rubik's cube, right? If you know how to do the two by two, you can start to solve three by three or four by four, five by five, six by six, or the various different Rubik's cubes. So I don't think it, um, it we, I ever have stopped learning and growing um, because there's so many things to learn and grow in. And for me, you know, I've wanted to make my life a masterpiece, not just my business success, um, but I want to make sure that my health, my relationship, my spiritual connectedness, my family, my children, my wife, my friendships, my contribution, the fun and experiences that I have um, give me the sense that I have a life that I'm proud of and that I can have impact and influence. And, and more importantly, that I can feel proud that I'm using my life in a way uh, that is worthy of life itself. So you, you learn the fundamentals, um, and once you have those, then you can get better and better and better and better at those things. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, and it's true, and and your, your awareness of that, then instead of being at 19 saying you wanted to retire at 45, obviously you'd created some wealth and success, and you could have retired or semi-retired in some way, but you must have, by the time you hit 30 and then 45, realized your your level of not needing to learn to ride the bike again because you'd learned success was now about making contribution or raising your game or doing more at a global level. So after you'd built a successful real estate company and then you got, you, and you were using these skills in teaching your salespeople. I know you and I had spoken about part of the reason you had the success was because you hired really great people, but they followed you and you were teaching what you had learned to them to be better. And you excelled and created this multi-billion dollar sales company in, in a real estate industry that you didn't know anything about, you know, a decade or so before. So as you were doing this, when did you go, I'm 45 and now I'm not retiring and I'm going to go on and do even more. So when did your higher raise the game go to a level of getting into personal development that you were the guy instead of reading the books, doing the tapes, going to the seminars, when did you realize I'm going to step into a new arena and test myself out? Well, um, I actually have retired twice. So I have retired twice for a couple of years um, each time. Uh, and so the first time I retired um, was in 1997. So I had built Remax for 10 years and then I got bored of, of running it and building it. I had built it as far as I could take it. And then I was bored. So I took a couple of years off. Actually, it was 1995, 1996. I took a couple of years off until 1997. Um, and then I found another business deal to get into. That one didn't work out. Uh, that took about a year for that not to work out. Uh, and then I, um, uh, I got into another, another deal. Um, and, uh, and then that worked out great again. So I did retire twice, but it wasn't retired like I was never going to work again. 
I was just tired from working as much as I did um, uh, for a couple of deals. One was after 10 years, one was after a year and a half. Uh, where we just did insane, um, you know, I- I- insane amount of work in a year and a half. And um, and so, you know, the the, the key for me um, is really around uh, purpose. When I retired the first time, it was wonderful for about six months. Um, I could do what I want to do. I could work out when I want to work out, choose the restaurants I want to work out in. But at that time, um, there was nobody to play with. I was pretty young and all my friends were working. <laughs> so like, like I was bored after six months. Um, and, um, and so that's when, when really, you know, uh, a lot of my work was around, you know, when I built Remax, it was really about money. And then it was more about uh, purpose and meaning with money. Now it's all about purpose and meaning. <laughs> Right. So there's been this evolution where like I know if if every penny that I have was taken away completely and I had the ability to earn income um, in in an igloo in Antarctica with an Internet connection and nothing else, I could make money from an igloo in Antarctica, you know, 50 miles off the beaten path if I can have access to commerce, to people, to uh, to selling programs, products, services, something. So having the skill set and knowing the model, you know, for building stuff uh, has given me the confidence and certainty to take away the fear of, mm-hmm. you know, not having enough or not being able to take care of myself. So, you know, food, shelter, you know, uh, clothing, all that stuff is, is not a concern. So, the, the real thing for me is how can I use my life in a way, as I mentioned before, that I am proud of, but that I can then make a contribution to the lives of others or to animals or the plants or, the, or, or you know, this beautiful blue planet so that I just feel like the trade, my life, is worthy, is worth what I'm doing, what I'm trading it for. So... I love to share. I loved, I still am a voracious learner like you. I, and I still love to share and to give. I receive in giving. So uh, I just keep pouring out whatever it is that I know or have learned, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the embarrassing, the stuff I'm ashamed with, because it might just feel some, it might just help somebody go, oh, I'm okay. Right? They're, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Right. I don't need to be worried about, you know, uh, being embarrassed or ashamed or ridiculed and judged because of what I've done or not done or how I right and who I am. So if I can use um, my life in any way to make another human being's life better, or like I said, an animal or a plant or whatever it is, I'm very big into this spectacular thing called life that we each get. Um, you know, we wake up. It's like a miracle every day. Um so I just look to do things that give me purpose and meaning. Well, and I think that is so powerful. And I am in alignment with you. That's what my life is about. I want to work with purpose-driven peoples and, and leaders yeah. and companies because I want to feel more purposeful. And so filling that void is then not having this need to feel like I need to retire either. Because when you're loving what you do, you're pulled to do many of the things you're talking about. So yeah. through your work, you've gone on to do that. And not only in the self-development about learning about some of the think and grow rich p- principles of Napoleon Hill 
uh, talked about early days or from the mentors that you've learned along the way, repurposing that, you went on to realize there's even something else. There's something beyond just even affirmations or writing down your goals or believing super consciousness. There's also something in the brain, the way the brain is wired. And you started being a voracious learner always, but you started studying the brain. And not only did you start studying the brain, you did so much research on the brain and how it adapts to helping people change behaviors or create the life they desire and want that you started being sought out by talk shows, Ellen DeGeneres and Larry King. And so when did that start pulling you so heavily that you wanted to become an expert in that? Like, where did that come from? So I started the interest around my brain in my early 20s when I started to change and I started to achieve success. And I got curious as to how this visualization that I'm doing around my vision and goals and these affirmations and declarations and listening to the audios were changing me so that I was doing things to achieve some success. I got fascinated then. And I got introduced to Maxwell Maltz's work on psycho-cybernetics, the mechanics of how your brain works. But then um, I was sick when I was in my early 20s with severe ulcerative colitis because I was working so hard to make money. Uh, I had ulcers in my colon. And I saw something on TV. Um, the doctors were talking about something called psychoneuroimmunology, which is basically the mind-body connection that you can control what's happening in your body with your mind. And, and so um, I started to, um, I was taking 25 salazapyrin pills a day to reduce the inflammation in my colon. I was doing a betanosol enema in the morning and at night. I was having a tube stuck up my, you know what, every month called a sigmoidoscopy because they thought that they're going to have to remove part of my colon. And I was like early twenties, 23, when I got back from my world tour. And so I'm going like, how is like I'm how is it that I'm sick? I'm in a state of disease, right? Which I learned was a state of dis-ease. And um, I started researching psychoneuroimmunology. And so I said, well, I wonder if I could create a very similar process for my health as I did to become, you know, a good real estate agent. And so I created an affirmation. I started to visualize my healthy colon. Yes, I started to eat right. Yes, I started to exercise. Yes, I stopped parting as hard. And every day I would read this affirmation. And the affirmation is, my body and all its organs were created by the infinite intelligence in my subconscious mind. It created all my muscles, tissues, bones, and organs, and it knows how to heal me. Powerful is the creative intelligence within me. I am now perfectly healthy. I would repeat that over and over and over again. I would close my eyes and visualize. I would see my colon healing. Now I was sick for a year and a half. Five weeks later, all symptoms were gone. So that was like lesson number two, holy mackerel. It worked for helping me make money, worked for helping me, you know, with my health. And then, you know, I got into building my own company and I taught my agents how to change their mindset. And so like for me, Steve, that was the beginning of it. And then I had this incident where, um, you know, I, I, I started to create vision boards. I started to create visual representations of everything that I wanted in health and wealth and relationship and career and business. And, um, a house that I had cut out from a magazine. Um, I ended up five years later living in that house when I didn't even know where the house was or how much it was. I was like, 
what in the world happened here? How can yeah. I cut out a picture, see it, visualize it, emotionalize it? Now I'm living in this house. And uh, so I started to research quantum physics, quantum mechanics, something I never, I never knew anything about that. I started to research, like, what was my brain doing? And in doing that, I started to get some answers around the human brain that we used to think that we are hardwired. Well, we discovered we're not hardwired, that our brain is plastic. And the discovery of neuroplasticity by Dr. Michael Merzenich, um, that the brain's making new connections. Those connections fire off electrical signals that release neurochemicals into your blood. That Those neurochemicals we call our feelings, that we're molecular beings and we are vibrating and oscillating at the atomic rate of the, um, the neurochemicals in our body. I just got fascinated with like, wow, that's all happening in me. And as I did more research, I started to ask some questions. Is it possible? I mean, is it possible that I could take, you know, uh, a limiting belief and release it if it's nothing more than a pattern in my brain? Is it possible that a habit is nothing more than a grouping, okay, of beliefs and behaviors and perspectives and associations that cause automatic behavior? Is it possible for me to change those? Yeah, it is. And so then I said, well, how? What has science taught us about creating a new belief pattern, a new habitual pattern, a new perspective, a new paradigm, a new whatever? And then I started getting into the world of emotions, the energy in motion. And I just got fascinated with how freaking powerful we all are. And then I realized through the research that every brain functionally works the same. Einstein's brain, like yours and mine. Hitler's brain, like yours and mine. Genghis um, uh, uh, Khan's brain. Functionally, the brains work the same. So I started saying, okay, what are we learning about the human brain and performance and success and letting go of limitations and removing obstacles and creating new empowering patterns that then create success? So I just got fascinated with that. And I remember Jack LaLanne, you know, was the inventor of exercise, yeah. <laughs> right? And I said, well, I'm the inventor of inner size because I have been inner-sizing my neuromuscles, my neurocircuits. I'm making them stronger and I'm deliberately choosing which ones to make stronger. Just like I can deliberately choose, well, I want to make my biceps stronger, right? Well, I want to make my shoulders stronger. I want to make my back stronger. Then I choose the exercise to do that or the exercises. Well, I've come up with a variety of methodologies and combinations of methodologies to make my brain stronger and over 100,000 of my students around the world who exercise every day. And it's so powerful. And I, I and for those who've been listening and reviewing in the first half hour and know how passionate and excited John is, and he is, it's so cool to see him in the last three or four minutes talking about this because he even went to a whole nother level. Like his enthusiasm, you can tell the passion and the power and the knowingness of this, of what you are and what you've done and what you do. And so people need to learn more about this. I really believe that this is not a need, this is not a want, this is a need. This is something everybody needs. So you've created a program that people can attend uh, and you call it the Brainathon. And it, I think it happens every Saturday, is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit of that? So, cause we're gonna run out of time soon. I don't wanna forget sure. to make sure people know how to learn more about what you're talking about to affect this in their own lives. 
Yeah. So I do a lot of work with um, entrepreneurs, but I also do a lot of work with researchers, scientists, uh, neuropsychologists, neuropsychiatrists, PhDs that are all studying different parts, you know, of why do we procrastinate? How do we let go of trauma? Uh, how do I uh, release my feeling that I'm not good enough, not worthy enough, not good, not uh, um, capable enough? How do I let go of a, a belief that is limiting me? And I invite them, you know, to some free training um, that we have on a sa on Saturdays, and um, I, I'll give you the link uh, to to people. It's you know that you'll you'll put in your uh, in your yeah, show we'll notes. Exactly. And um, and so every year, you know, I choose some 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 people to. Um, um, to, to help me teach what is coming from the science so that we can make our lives uh, work better. And it's so powerful. I highly recommend you att attend this. We're putting it in the show notes. It's If you're watching it, it's scrolling across the bottom of the screen. John okay. has uh, really amassed not only a network, but friends, associates, and people that highly respect him. So the people that come on his show or talk about his topics or the knowledge that he's gained literally about how the most important organ that we have in our body uh, to is the brain. Uh, I mean, I know you have to have a heart, but the brain affects all things in our life. And he's really mastered that of taking all these principles and making sure that you're exercising your brain and you're learning how to maximize and create the life you want. And as John was talking about earlier, it's not just about money. You have to have money to get to a certain level for sure and to achieve uh, just having comfort in life and to able to elevate your own dream. But it goes into health and emotion and relationships. He has a beautiful relationship with his wife, Maria, his boys, his friends. He really has created a well-rounded life. And John, on this discovery of the brain and emotion, it also took you on an even deeper quest of how, seeing how spirituality or how higher power focuses in, into that for yourself. And so I'm curious on how, when you started studying the brain, which is this instrument that uses energy and thoughts to create, how has your, your views or understanding shifted from being a boy born in Jerusalem, traveling the world and having your own beliefs to now being this mega global guy who helps people understand to have better lives? How has spirituality affected this for you? Any, and any effects of this on, on your work? Sure. So I think, listen, when I was younger, um, it's, it's me, 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 right? And um, my awareness um, that uh, uh, I am energy, you are energy, everything is energy. We are in this quantum field, you know, of energy and what I do or don't do affects you and what you do or don't do affects me, including what I say. Um, we are all like in this quantum field together in this field of intelligence, you know, that not only gives us life that, you know, breathes you, breathes me, um, has helped me realize, you know, I meditate every day. I've done spiritual journeys as well, uh, using plant medicines that, um, um, you know, you've got to do in a very, very safe environment if you want to explore that you realize that, um, you know, time on this blue planet is finite. And what I do in time is something that I can have some control over. But everything that is happening is connected to everything else. And so, you know, if I minimize myself, then I'm being a reflection of how people should minimize themselves. 
if I am playing with love and care and kindness and contribution and I spark that in you and then you play the game with more kindness, compassion, empathy, um, when you become a seeker, when you become a solution seeker, when you have problems, which we all do, but you overcome them, then I inspire you. You know, when I minimize me, I expire your life and I expire my life. And so what you start to, what I realize, and fortunately I've been on a spiritual quest for 40 years also, is the more I shine with in a humble way, not an egotistical, in a humble way, the more I help light the genius and wisdom and light within you because you see in me what's already in you and I see in you what's already in me. So if I don't like something in you, maybe I haven't learned to accept that in me. And if I learn to accept that in me and you see that, maybe you'll accept that in you. So, you know, we really are. Like if you think about it, if you, if you understand a little bit of mathematics, you know, every time you breathe in, okay, you breathe in 10 to the 22nd power of atoms and molecules made up mostly of hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon. So what I'm inhaling and exhaling, if we're in the same room together, guess what you're inhaling and exhaling? When you're inhaling the, the air that's been traveling the cosmos and you're picking up a piece of gold that was in the furnace of a star a billion years ago, we are all in each other. The universe is in us. We are in the universe. And when we start to have a different perspective on ourselves and each other, how could we not love? How could we not lift each other up? How can we, uh, you know, how could we not have compassion and, and self-care and empathy for oneself and others, including obviously, you know, plants, animals, and everything else. When you have this spiritual awareness then it's not me, it's we. I love that. Well, that's a great note to end on in perfect timing. And you're inspiring. I mean, that word inspire and also includes spirit. I mean, you do that for me all the time and just knowing who you are and what you're out doing in the world. And I've been honored to know you for all these decades. And I know there's millions of people that have been inspired by you being so authentic with your work, your truth, who you are, and sharing this wonderful news about figuring out how we can all be having more kindness, compassion, empathy. And as you said, as we're downplaying our ego and, the, and our us our, as, as, as us as ourself and you, and we're helping others be we, you are bringing out the genius in others. So thank you for doing that, John, and for bringing out the genius in me and for all out there, uh, because we all have contributions to give, and you're a great conduit and a great caller of that. So thank you so much for being on the show. I know our listeners are going to get uh, just amazing content and, and inspiration from this. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Steve. And, and I love and respect you and who you are in the world too, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, John. And everyone, thank you so much for listening in on the Alchemy of Business show. John Asaroff brought some great wisdom today, and we're going to make sure we share this with everyone, and we hope you do as well. If you like the show, please subscribe and share with others and go on and go forth and prosper and do good and help others find through you kindness, compassion, empathy, and goodness and inspiration. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. And that concludes this episode of The Alchemy of Business with your host, Steve Rogers. 
If you found value in today's broadcast, please consider liking, subscribing, sharing with friends, and leaving a review. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next Thursday for another episode. Be blessed, and see you soon.